The Rural Radio Network, back on the air to give you another edition of Midday, here for Thursday, and I'm Dirk Christensen. You can find out what is coming up your way from an information standpoint all across the far and wide reaches of the Rural Radio Network. Susan Littlefield, our uh, illustrious and award-winning Ag News Director. How are you? I, I am well. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to to uh, take myself and you aback on that one, but apparently I did. We were both <laughs> no, speechless. You're fine. Both speechless there for just a moment, which is a difficult thing for both of us to be at the same time. I know. Mm-hmm. Kind of uh, difficult. Yeah, your your phone has been ringing off the hook this morning, and you've talked to some pretty uh, moving and shaking people here. I understand. Today has been crazy. I, I jokingly said I have to plug my phone back in because I wore the battery down. But that means there's a lot of interesting things happening in agriculture, and we'll hear more about it as the days go on. Just literally hung up the phone with Congressman Fortenberry as they're working already on the farm bill. And, you know, he, he's not even on the House Ag Committee, mm-hmm. but he's been given the task of a certain area of the farm bill. So he's pretty pumped and excited about that it's a big benefit to beginning farmers and ranchers so we'll have more on that tomorrow but you eat cereal in the morning I do. do. All any of you guys eat breakfast in the morning Scott, in the studio? No cereal. Uh, no, I I refuse to eat breakfast. Bob, it's what do you think? Time. Yes, I eat a little breakfast once in a while. Well, General Mills and this you'll find more about this um, coming up at 117. They have deepened their investment in soil health with $735,000 contribution wow. to the National Wheat Foundation. So wow. we'll have more information on what General Mills, based out of the Twin Cities, is doing to uh, help out agriculture. Then, well, of course, we do a... Go ahead. I was going to say, I grew up on Wheaties. I'm so pleased to hear this. Yeah, a little Cheerios action. You know, <laughs> you know that your stuff's being grown in good soil. Absolutely. What else is coming up for us? 12.19, we'll get another update from Dean Hefta with Water Street Solutions. And then at 12.45, I will have the chairman of U.S. Meat Export Federation talking about the importance of exports, not only from the protein standpoint, but for the feed that goes into those animals. Okay. Very good. And we'll listen to with all those reports with interest today. Thank you, Susan. Appreciate it very much. And over here to Scott Foster we go. Find out what's happening. I guess we've got some uh, real good uh, tournament matchups coming we up. We do. Well, volleyball uh, tournament season in college is underway, or will soon be. The Husker women take on Stony Brook, and uh, Husker women, of course, are doing very well throughout the year, mm-hmm. and uh, they go in there uh, 19-1, and Big Ten Conference, so good stuff there. Also, the UNK women getting underway, too, so that's going on. Husker men's basketball played Really well last night, 49% from the floor, 9 of 19 from three-point range as they knocked off BC. They have a rugged schedule coming up as they've got Michigan State to open the Big Ten here at, from East Lansing and then Minnesota at home, so it's not going to be easy for them, but we'll hear from Tim Miles as uh, their win last night. All right, well, it's, uh, off to a pretty good start and a great red hope for this year. Sure, 6-2, and two, we'll take it, whatever mm-hmm. we get. Bob Brogan on business. Stocks are rising on Wall Street as the technology turns higher following a steep drop a day earlier. Also, Senator John McCain, who's been a holdout on the Senate tax bill, now saying that he is uh, going to support it. Uh, he says it's far from perfect, but he's he's on board. So those are some of the things we're watching. All this and more today on Midday. 
Ag weather now as we bring Paul Perkins into the mix. And it's brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, your Ranky dealer. Nice through the rest of the weekend. Huh? Yeah, exactly. Four-day stretch here is some very, very nice weather. If you're allergic to December temperatures like I am, <laughs> get that stuff down outside. <laughs> yeah, you're going to have to get that prescription refilled, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we have a good taste of it on the way, a little closer to normal as we head towards next week. But for the time being, through the weekend, enjoying some very nice temperatures. Most areas right now in the mid to upper 40s for temperatures. High pressure sliding east across Kansas today, going to result in some light wind, sunshine, and above normal temperatures. Rapid cooling for tonight with clear skies and light winds as that area of high pressure slips farther east. A westerly flow tomorrow on into the weekend, going to keep it dry with those unseasonably warm temperatures in the 50s and 60s. Sunday looks to be our warmest ahead of an approaching storm system. At Dirk, despite these mild temperatures over the weekend, many think that there could be an appearance of frost over the weekend, maybe Saturday into Sunday of the football type of frost. Well, it's, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you almost slipped that one by me there. That was very subtle. Thank you. But there, at least that's a lot of what people are hoping anyhow. Oh. Strong a strong cold front swings south across the area on Monday. Some light rain or snow is possible Monday afternoon at night. But that's about all we're going to see with that system for precipitation. Tuesday and Wednesday, our big story going to be that pattern change to much colder temperatures with some Arctic air spilling south. There may be a few chances of light snow as some quick-moving systems drop in through the region. For our long-term forecast, temperatures in Nebraska and Kansas are forecast to be Near normal to cooler than normal Tuesday through December 13th. Now, the better chances of being on the cooler than normal side going to be over eastern Nebraska into central and east Kansas. A precipitation forecast expecting all of Nebraska and Kansas to be drier than normal Tuesday through the 13th. In our latest drought monitor, 91% of Nebraska remains drought-free, which is the same as last week. It's abnormally dry in the southern third of the Panhandle and northern Cherry County. Drought coverage continues to increase in coverage in Kansas, where 52% of the state is still drought-free. Last week, though, Kansas was 66% drought-free. It's abnormally dry in the northern half of central and east Kansas right now. South-central Kansas experiencing moderate drought. Weather factors affecting market trade include beneficial rain in dry areas of Argentina and widespread favorable weather in Brazil. Light-scattered rain today in the vicinity of a cold front will cross the eastern third of the west. Across the rest of the country, except for the northwest, mild, mostly dry weather will continue through the weekend. Early next week, cooler air expected to arrive in the west before spreading east. Early week showers will develop from eastern Texas into the upper Mississippi Valley. A little rain in the Midwest over the next few days will cause some disruptions for those dealing with late harvest. It will be drier and colder, though, in the 6 to 10 day outlook. Corn harvest progress right now at 94 to 100 percent complete in all states to the west of the Mississippi River. A much drier forecast than previous six previously expected for the Southern Plains means more soil moisture loss in wheat areas. Conditions are notably worse already than last year. Cordoba, a dry area in Argentina's crop belt, received some beneficial rain in the last 24 hours. That's going to ease some concerns for a while for crop stress. Additional rain expected in Argentina's primary crop areas over the weekend. And across Brazil, favorable crop development weather of Warm temperatures and scattered thunderstorms continues for major soybean and first crop corn areas. I'm going to bet you. I'm going to bet against <laughs> you on the frost appearance uh, before December second, anyway. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm guessing. Yeah, probably. Yeah, more towards late. <laughs> 
<laughs> on Sunday, I would think we're yeah, probably we'll going to see, see that yeah, football a- process. After that ACC, cha- AAC championship game that's coming up here. Uh, our Ag Weather with Paul, of course, is brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation. They are your ranky dealer. And if you need weather anytime, krbn.com. Set their 2018 RFS volumes. I'm Shaylee Peters on the Rural Radio Network as we take a quick check of your midday ag news. Despite a major push from the Midwest to bolster renewable fuel standard volumes for biomass based diesel and cellulosic ethanol, in the end, the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency left its final numbers released today virtually untouched from the original proposal. Though the biodiesel industry pressed President Donald Trump's administration for higher biomass based diesel volumes above the proposed 2.1 billion gallons for 2019, the EPA left that number unchanged. The agency originally proposed a cut while the industry wanted the number set at 2.5 billion gallons. The EPA's final biomass based diesel numbers came as a huge disappointment to an industry that maintains it has a capacity to produce 2.6 billion gallons. Corn ethanol blending requirements were set at 15 billion gallons for 2018, with overall biofuel blending obligations slightly higher overall based on the final RFS volumes announced. 15 billion gallons of corn ethanol amounts to about 5.4 billion bushels of corn demand supported by the RFS. The overall total renewable volume obligation, or RVO, for 2018 was set at 19.29 billion gallons. That represents a slight bump from the original proposal of 19.28 billion gallons. The agency had considered cutting the number to 19.24 billion gallons. The bump comes from a slight increase in the advanced biofuel volumes. Full details and reaction on that can be found at ruralradio.com. And cash receipts in the livestock sector are forecast to grow 7.6% for all of 2016, while receipts for crop producers are projected to fall 2%, according to USDA's latest farm income forecast released yesterday. Overall, net farm income is stabilizing and expected to provide a small bump in 2017 to $63.2 billion, or a 2.7% increase over 2016 numbers. The increase in overall farm sector comes after three consecutive years of declines. Still, when factoring in inflation, the net farm income, a broad measure of farm profits, is relatively unchanged from a year ago. And the Range Beef Cow Symposium held in Cheyenne this week had a variety of topics for cattle producers, including an outlook on cattle for the next two years. Chabala Guzman has more. The 25th Range Beef Cow Symposium in Cheyenne brought in several speakers, among them Jim Robb, Director of Livestock Marketing Information Center in Lakewood, Colorado. He gives us an outlook for the beef market in 2018 and 19. 2018 and 2019, the key, the big headwind in the marketplace, just the sheer tonnage of beef, pork, chicken, the total red meats and poultry that the U.S. is producing. We're producing record amounts. And our exports have been, especially in pork and chicken, rather lackluster, so we have to consume that in the U.S. So, you know, this, this can we get through these record large amounts of meat being produced? And we've been on, we were on the downtrend in these items in the 2010, 2011, 2012, through 2014. So this is, this is the biggest headwind. Beef production will go up. The calf crops are still getting bigger. 17's calf crops bigger than 16. 18's will be bigger than 17. Rob says the larger supplies ahead could limit price increases, and producers would need to have more demand help than they did this year. With the Rural Radio Network, I'm Chabella Guzman. 
And for more on the 25th Range Beef Cow Symposium, other ag news, audio, and video, visit ruralradio.com with a quick check of your midday ag news here on a Thursday. I'm Shaylee Peters, and you're listening to the Rural Radio Network. On our program today, we talk with Dean Hefta of Water Street Solutions. Dean, we see some corn, soybean spreading, and wheat soybean spreading today, aren't we? Yeah, you know, you've got a huge short position in the corn, and the funds are still a little bit long on the on the beans, and today it seems like as we've entered first notice day here for corn and wheat, you've got the buying stepping into, especially corn, front month leading the way, December, uh, leading the strength today over the deferred month, and beans, the flip side of that. You've got quite a bit of selling going on in uh, in January. Uh, kind of lack of concern yet coming out of South America. Still wondering, are we going to get that typical seasonal lift in soybeans as we move into December and we get more weather anxiety coming out of South America? Well, weather uh, happenings, I guess, or lack thereof of precipitation is taking hold in this uh, trade as far as the hard red winter wheat. It's gaining on the other weights, and that must uh, be the case, right? Yeah, and uh, that's always good to see in that market. I mean, as bad as the wheat market seems to be uh, continually performing, at least we're seeing Kansas City uh, beginning to lead that price action. That's important to see for that whole complex. seems like we're getting wheats to a place where where do you go from here, but, you know, <laughs> they've continued to surprise people month over month. Export sales were dismal. We have still the oversupply of wheat in the world, and that's going to be, um, uh, I guess, something to hang on the market for a while as well. However, now you turn to the outside influence, and the Dow is uh, really surging today. Phenomenal. Uh, up 366 points in, into, you know, clearly new highs. Just just an unbelievable market. And the question now, you're getting more reports coming out of, of investment banks questioning how long this can continue as we move into 18 and for now, it's, it looks like a blow-off top. We'll see how long it can blow off. Well, Dean, I think a month ago, that's exactly what they were saying. How long can this rally last in the Dow? Guess what? We continue to set all-time highs, and I think we're in the 58th day of uh, setting a record high, something like that in the Dow, and something over 60 days uh, for a new record high in the S&P. Now let's turn our attention to oil. That's not, a, that's not the story there. Yeah, the energy market, you know, our supplies are down from last year, but these higher prices, we're seeing an uptick in in production here. And so, you now it, it's nice for us in the corn world to keep these prices up. We'll see if we can get much more than $60 crude oil, because uh, that's going to encourage even more production here domestically. Looking at the dollar index today, we are, I, I think, at a two-month low, maybe even more than that. Yeah, the dollar is off a bit today. However, um, you've you've seen the relationship to the real, the Brazilian currency, not necessarily all that favorable the last few days. So that's also kind of playing into that soybean complex as well, because we're continually competing with Brazil on that exchange rate for our exports. Dean, did you notice the volatility that's going on in cattle futures today? Boy, it is it is all over the place. We had uh, both cattle and feeders down hard this morning, and uh, they've they've recuperated a lot of their losses here, but now they're sagging a bit more. So they're definitely all over the place, and and cash trade is as well. 
and it's going to be interesting to see how they close. We've talked with Dean Hefta of Water Street Solutions. For more, go to waterstreet.org or call 866-249-2528. It's midday on the Rural Radio Network, and time to check sports with Scott Foster. Thanks, sir. Time for a quick look at sports here on midday. Four Huskers scored in double figures to lead the Nebraska men's basketball team to a 71-62 win over Boston College at Pinnacle Bank Arena during the Big Ten ACC Challenge on Wednesday night. James Palmer Jr. and Isaac Copeland had 15 apiece as the Huskers shot 49% from the floor, including 9 of 19 from three-point range. Evan Taylor added a season-high 13 points, including a perfect 3-for-3 from outside the arc, while Glenn Watson Jr. added 10 points and 6 assists for the victors. Nebraska now 6-2, never trailed in relying on hot shooting in the first half and solid defense in the final 20 minutes. The Huskers shot 58% from the floor and hit eight three-pointers en route to a 44-36 halftime lead. Head coach Tim Miles talks about the win. Jimmy Christian runs a lot of really unique offensive things that are that can be hard to guard. They had been scoring well. They've been a very good offensive team so far this year. So to come out and hold them to about 26 the second half, uh, I, I was happy and 42% from the field and, and not let them get threes. Four for 22 on threes is really important, obviously, for us. That's been a huge emphasis. And on a night like tonight, we needed it. The Huskers return to action when they open up Big Ten against number 3 Michigan State on Sunday at 3.30 in East Lansing. The Nebraska volleyball team opens up the 2017 NCAA tournament against the Stony Brook Seawolves on Friday. The other first-round matchup in Lincoln pits Washington State against Florida State at 4.30. Doors open at 3.30. The Huskers ranked fifth in the AVCA coaches poll and seeded fifth in the NCAA tournament enter the postseason at 26-4 overall and are riding a 13-match win streak, their longest of the season. Stony Brook qualified for its first ever NCAA tournament by winning the America East title with a 3-0 sweep of Binghampton. The Seawolves went 18-12 in the regular season and 6-6 in the American East before upsetting top-seeded Albany in the conference semifinals. The six-ranked Nebraska Kearney volleyball team aims for its 28th all-time NCAA tournament victory Thursday afternoon when it takes on 26th-ranked Missouri Western in a Central Regional first-round matchup in Marshall, Minnesota. The Lopers 33-3 and the Griffins 24-10 will square off approximately 2.30. The Loper Griffins winner will play Friday at 5 o'clock against either two-time defending national champion Concordia St. Paul or MIAA rival Central Oklahoma. That's a quick look at sports. More of Midday on your way on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Scott Foster. Sunny for the rest of the day with a high in the lower 50s for tonight. Clear, lows in the mid-20s, and then for tomorrow, sunny. Highs in the upper 50s. From the KRVN News Center, I'm Scott Foster. Two persons of interest in the investigation into the whereabouts of a missing 24-year-old Lincoln woman have been arrested. Lincoln Police Chief Jeff Blymeister says 51-year-old Aubrey Trail and 23-year-old Bailey Boswell were arrested on unrelated warrants. Chief Blymeister was asked during the news conference Thursday morning why it took two weeks to gear up the search for the missing woman. He said there's a perception nothing had been done. 
But that's not in reality. Bleimeister refers to Susie, the missing woman's mother. Yeah, I can assure you since the moment that Susie made the call to the Lincoln Police Department that all of these agencies have been working diligently behind the scenes and our personnel have been working around the clock in an effort to try to find Sydney. And then as things developed and we learned more, eventually tried to find Bailey Boswell and Aubrey Trail. And the really the emphasis hasn't changed. It's been there since the, the infancy. The FBI's Randy Thicey said the public's help is still needed to find Sydney Loof, who was reported missing November 16th. Family and friends have said she went on a date the night before with someone she met online. Police say she was last seen in Wilbur, 40 miles southwest of Lincoln. It has prompted a statewide search that involves state and national authorities. In the press conference today, George Loof, Sydney's father, talked to the media and thanked everyone for spreading the information and keeping a lookout for his daughter. Gotten the word out on social media, uh, all the support uh, that our family has received. Uh, continue that uh, and uh, thank you for all of your prayers. And uh, in my opinion, someone knows something. Please, please do the right thing. Loof is a principal at Neely Oakdale High School. Anyone with information about the disappearance of Sidney Loof is urged to contact the FBI at 402-493-8688 or the Lincoln Police Department at 402-441-6000. Kansas legislators in both parties have misgivings about a plan to have the largest private prison operator in the U.S. build a new correctional facility for the state. The plan outlined Thursday by the State Department of Corrections would replace the state's oldest and largest prison. But lawmakers question the state's plan to pay for the project by leasing the new prison from its contractor over 20 years. Our app is the perfect companion to your phone. Download it free in the App Store or Google Play. From the KRVN News Center, I'm Scott Foster. Exports continue to be a focus in the marketplace. Good afternoon, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Dennis Stifler is the chairman of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. He and I sat down to talk about the work that's being done by so many entities to promote protein and beyond across the world. And, and that is because they all benefit from it uh, through the uh, creating of infrastructure, jobs, utilization of products, you know, grains, and then their operations. It all benefits them to work in concert for, for that common good, even though there are times when, you know, we don't all agree on how we should approach that. For you guys, I mean, there's, there's some hurdles, obviously, and it was, and you've got NAFTA, you've got Chorus sitting there. How do you guys, without getting into the politicals of it, Talk about the importance of what these trade agreements mean to the producer and the product that's being exported. Well, I think it's about creating a voice. USMEF is a marketing uh, organization. It's not a policy or advocacy organization. But through our efforts, we can work through those people that are, whether it be the North American Meat Institute or be through the... Uh, NPPC or the uh, National Beef uh, NCBA, that group, all of those to 
create you know common grounds so we can move this thing forward and and protect what we built and further uh, our marketing of this you know, wall of meat that's coming at us. Even though you say you've been removed for a, for a year or so from the industry, let's talk about the lamb industry because it is one that's kind of the, the quiet one back there. And there is some export opportunities for our sheep producers. Oh, there, there definitely is. Uh, that's a subject very near and dear to me. I spent the last eight years as CEO of Mountain Sage Rosen, which is the second largest uh, lamb marketing uh, group, Superior Farms, is slightly bigger, but between Superior Farms and Mountain States, they, they controlled a sizable market share. Uh, lamb is a great product. Uh, unfortunately, it's a specialty product. It's no longer a commodity. Uh, and it's branched out into what we call a traditional lamb, which is what we grew up with, to a lot of non-traditional that really focus on branding and ethnic markets and specialty type of boutique things throughout there. And, and a lot of that's growing on the East Coast and, and very good. But it, it's a great protein. Uh, it's been... The market share is small. Uh, consumption of lamb is less than a pound per capita. 30% uh, of the population has never even eaten lamb. They ought to try it. it it's a gr great, great product. But there are export opportunities out there. Uh, goat and lamb are the two largest consumed proteins in the world. And so there is opportunity, and the markets that are predominantly available for lamb are the Middle East, uh, the Asian markets. Uh, we just got Taiwan opened last year, and we're on the cusp of opening up Japan. We've got Guatemala open now. We're looking at opening up other markets like Vietnam, uh, South Korea, China. Uh, all of those would really help that. Uh, our, our product is a different product than the Australian or New Zealand product. A lot of that is grass-fed. A lot of that is a fine wool product, where ours is more meat and uh, larger animals. So it's, an, it's about an education. It's about information. And it's about a value proposition. I think the education, too, has to come on, on this side of the pond, shall we say, and the producers that grow that product to be able to meet what the customers want. Absolutely, and you know, it, uh, it's about positioning a market. And basically, there's two strategies there: either price or differentiation. And lamb is a differentiated product, and that's the way it, it ought to be sold. And through the organizations like the, the American Lamb Board, it does a phenomenal job of promoting our products on a very small budget. The American Sheep in, Industry uh, Organization, trade organization, it helps promote producers. All of those, we need to work together, you know, again, to get that product positioned out there and grow rather than shrink. And he said a big event coming up next year will really showcase the importance of exports. World Meat Congress is going to be held in Dallas, which is my hometown. So that's going to be exciting to be involved in that and have over 800 people from all over the world in attendance and seeing how we, the United States, you know, develops our uh, agricultural products and in particular the meat products so that's that's going to be exciting and then the other thing that's really important to this officer group is the 
further outreach to our sectors. We have nine sectors in USMEF. Uh, and that area is include the proteins, the grains, and ag organizations. Comments from the chairman of the U.S. Meat Export Federation, Dennis Stifler. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Next, we visit with Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities, about the roller coaster ride and the livestock futures. Joe. Yeah, definitely was a, a roller coaster up, down, up, down, back and forth. And this is applied to uh, all the uh, livestock, I think. Cattle, the feeders, and the hogs all doing the same thing. Ended up lower all the way across the board with triple-digit losses in, uh, in all of those uh, three. So uh, kind of a funny day because uh, uh, starting in the cattle, uh, I've heard of uh, some bids, and uh, uh, but I haven't heard of any trades. And the bids uh, were up at 119, and then uh, I heard that... Uh, uh, there might be some 120s out there, but haven't heard of any trade. Uh, when then we rallied, they actually came back and got higher on the day in the December for a second, and then uh, fell off, so, and that took everybody back down. And same way in the feeders. The Jan feeders actually got higher for a while and then turned back down, too. So a uh, very choppy day. The cutouts were lower again. So uh, we haven't had a very positive week in the uh, beef cutouts. Over in the hogs, uh, cash, let's call it steady early, and uh, there was some concern that uh, maybe we wouldn't uh, be able to uh, hold that together. And then uh, the cutouts at noon were a little bit higher, but didn't uh, help, and uh, down came the uh, uh, hogs trying to close down on the uh, premium that they carry. So a very... uh, choppy day and boy the volatility is back. Thanks Joe. You can reach Joe Teal at Great Plains Commodities 800-328-0134. I'm Dewey Nelson. is deepening their investment in soil health with $735,000 in contributions to the National Wheat Foundation. I'm Shaley Peters on the Rural Radio Network. Phil McLean is our guest today to visit with us about that. Phil is chairman of the National Wheat Foundation and also a North Carolina wheat grower. And Phil, exciting news for you guys. Just talk to us first about what exactly this announcement is and what it means. Oh, okay. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to talk about it today. Yeah, we're really excited about this uh, project. Uh, it's an ongoing project that uh, started with corn growers, and now General Mills has wanted to involve wheat growers. So it's going to give us a chance to um, get involved in, in things that really interest consumers as well as we producers, and that that is uh, soil health, how we can be better stewards of the soil, um, there's some interest in sustainability, and certainly there's a lot of interest in the, with the consumers now about how we grow the food that they consume. And we want to be good partners with that, and we uh, have an opportunity here to uh, get out some of the messages about what good things we're already doing. But also uh, gives us an opportunity to learn how we can do better what we've been doing in the past. So we're real excited about General Mills partnering with us on this um, it will give individual producers a chance to be involved in this about six to eight across the country and uh, they'll have like 20 acre plots 
or maybe more, and they will get compensated by the group uh, Soil Health Partnership for their contribution and work. So it's an opportunity to have some real hands-on with this. You mentioned some of the projects this money will go towards, but looking at this specifically, and you may not know this until you get really involved with these projects, but what would you say some of the goals are at the end of the three years when you look at the impact this could make? Yes, uh, it'll help us to identify some things that we're already doing very well, but it'll also probably take us in some areas we're not expecting, and that's what we'd really like to get out of it to see if there's some things that we've missed that we need to be looking for in the foundation and in the wheat world, uh, how we can better do our jobs, how we can better be stewards. Maybe we can learn something about our soil that uh, we've missed um, in the past that with new technology and new ideas, maybe we can uh, do a better job with our soil than we've done in the past. Okay, Phil, and anything additionally while I've got you on the line here and we look at what this means for the National Wheat Foundation and wheat growers across the uh, plains here? Well, we're, one of the things that we're certainly concerned with in the foundation is the profitability to our wheat farmers. Our wheat acres have declined in the last uh, five to ten years. We would like to see those acres increase. We hope maybe we can learn something to help farmers to be more profitable, and that's one of the forefront issues that we have in the foundation. We've also started a program called the National Wheat Action Plan, and one of the main things in that is to return more profitability to the wheat farmers. So we think that this project is going to fit into that program very well and help us to identify some things that we're looking for. Thank you, Phil. Phil McLean, National Wheat Foundation Chairman and North Carolina Wheat Grower, talking to us today about the General Mills investment, $735,000 contributed to the National Wheat Foundation in collaboration with the Soil Health Partnership. For more on this, you can visit RuralRadio.com. I'm Shaley Peters, and you're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network. End of the month trading. What happened today? John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain, joins us for this. Uh, volatility was uh, part of the action today. Yeah, actually, some nice up moves in corn. Uh 357 seen in the March contract. So I think you saw a couple of things. One, we good, good up. Uh, purchase announced out of China via sorghum. Now, the exports report wasn't that great, but, um, you know, to see the Chinese in our market again, it just kind of gives me a little bit of a warm feeling. I, I uh, you know, know they control a lot of the commodity pricing in the world, but uh, they haven't been involved too much in the U.S. over the last three to four years, and, you know, if they could start to come back here, that would, that would change the game uh, as far as maybe the outlook for what potentially is down the road. You know, to get above these levels, we're probably going to need some problems in South America, but you know, I think we could float 365, maybe even as high as 370 in the short term, but don't want to get bullish up at those levels. Longer term, it appears, according to some, that we could be in for a higher corn market. Do you agree? I do. I do. I think a lot of it has to depend on, obviously, what the global production story looks like uh, and then, you know, acreage for next year. But you're starting to see some good signs of a bottom, you know, basis being down um, or being higher, rather, coming back in. And, uh, you know, I think producers have, are kind of getting to the point now where they've either sold or rolled. And, and once they've rolled, they're, they're not as in a hurry to sell um, 
you know, on a rally at two to three cents, like we've been seeing, uh, you know, as we were coming into this price price pressure at the end of the December contract. So, well, I'm not like super optimistic. I don't think you want to hold out for a floor handle for the March JFM delivery period, but I do think, uh, you know, we could see it, you know, 320 price point for those folks out in eastern Nebraska uh, who are selling in the low threes right now. Can the first two weeks in December be a little bit more unpredictable than the last two weeks? Yeah, and I mean, I think given that we're seeing the tax kind of plan come into play. I think that, if you're looking at the equity side, another big move up here in the, in the Dow Jones and the S&P 500, um, you know, those should be pulling factors on the commodity markets eventually. And uh, money flow has been everything here, and money flow has all been to the downside, really, in the corn and the, in the wheat markets for the last couple of months. Uh, I look for just a simple reverse of that to maybe bring prices up 15 to 20 cents. To get these folks to want to really buy, though, I think there has to be a story. And, you know, I'm going to continue to harp on South American weather. I know it's a a boring story, but in, when it happens, it'll smart, it'll add a spark like that. Uh, at this point, there isn't a whole lot to talk about, though. Thanks, John. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago, and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. Go to danielsagmarketing.com. And the dollar index today, the last trade was down 0.142 to 92.965. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network.